the worship, as you do not want to hear me sing. But uh, it's, it's good to be here. Hope everyone's having a really good Memorial Weekend. Uh, I think this is Memorial Weekend anyway. Um, but if I'm wrong, then it's next weekend. I don't really know what the date is. Is it this week? So I am right. Um, wanted to thank the worship team for their, their songs. The song, You Never Let Go, uh, as we were singing that, it sort of hit me. That's the message of the cross throughout all of humanity. God, from the Old Testament, from the beginning of time to now, God has been reaching out uh, to us. And at the, the pinnacle, that is the message of the cross. Um, whether at six years old you accept, you find Christ, or the thief on the cross with seconds or hours to go, God is, Jesus is always reaching out. So thank you to the worship team, and also to Merv and your team. That was a, a great job, and a and a perfect introduction to what, uh, what I felt God laid on my heart to speak about. And we had no interaction. You, 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 you did a perfect introduction. So uh, praise God for that. It really set it up well. I wanted to build off of my message last uh, a couple Sundays back where I looked at, in the Sermon on the Mount, our call as a church to be a city on a hill, to be that light that shines out in our community and how that looks. Um, and I had, I had no idea how intimidating that would be when that thing was right in front of you and mustache man says, three, two, one, go. And you're like staring at that sucker and you're like, man, I can't mess up. I got to go. And then you go. And anyway, so it's good to see people here and be able to interact and not feel like you have to do it to perfection. But building off of that message, I wanted to look at, instead of as a church, and it's the two combine a little bit, but how should I, how do I personally live a winsome Christianity? A Christianity that is attractive to those around me and to the world. Um, and so, because I will never be confused with a great teacher uh, like Marcus or, uh, or anyone like that, but uh, I. Um, put a PowerPoint together. This is my first time ever doing a PowerPoint. It's a very in-depth PowerPoint. It's got stick figures and stuff like that. So again, I will never be, if you want to put up our first slide, and I'll just sort of tell, cue you when to, uh, so this, I was, uh, at the beginning of the week, I sat down with my kids. So yes, his name is Bob. I was going to call him Exhibit A, but Lily wanted to call him Bob. So Bob is a Christian. He's a follower of Christ. So don't worry. He's, he's good to go. He's going to heaven. Um, but Bob is, will be our subject of how to live a winsome Christianity, how to have an, uh, live a life that's attractive to those around us. Uh, so those are the questions Bob's wrestling with, is how can he live his life in a way that attracts people to Jesus? Uh, if you want to go to the next slide, again. Uh, so this is what I drew for my kids. If you look on the bottom left, your left, you'll see a choir of like just halos, angels. That's church people, just like no sin in their life, just perfect people uh, just doing godly things all the time. And so the question Bob is wrestling with with his church people is how can he live his life in a way 
that will call people into a deeper obedience, a deeper faith in Christ. Because at the core of what we consider normal is who we're surrounded by. If we're surrounded by Christians that are just cultural in Christianity, we won't have a calling that will take us to a deeper, more obedient faith that will challenge us and push us out into uncomfortable places. Uh, so, so how can he live a life that is attractive to those, his fellow believers that pushes him into a deeper faith, into a deeper obedience? And then on the top right is the world, and they're having a good time. They're, I didn't know you could find these fun characters online, but my wife found these for me. But uh, they're having a good time. They're, um, they're having fun. And so he has to also wrestle with how does he, how can he be authentic? How can he live a life that doesn't just look like a, a pious Pharisee that does not attract those in the world? Um, and live a life that shows a world that there's something more, that there's something in Christ that they're missing out on. Uh, and so that is the essence of what we're going to be looking at. I think this will really help you figure that out. Uh, but then I also um, in, uh, had my kids put together a top ten list of how we can show the world Christ in an attractive, winsome manner and a bottom ten list. Uh, so if you want to put up the top ten, I'll just read those off. The top ways to show Jesus, this is what they came up with, is to share, teach about Jesus, not be selfish, give to the poor, say sorry, be kind, be helpful, honor your parents. We've really pushed that one. Uh, pray and obey. Do they do these things to excellence? We won't answer those. But um, you can put up the bottom ten. The bottom ten that they came up with is... Uh, be selfish, bully, talk mean, steal things, disobey your parents, pinch them. That was a um, Tommy special. I did exclude a couple that he came up with because I thought they really reflected badly on my, on my uh, parenting and maybe what I um, let him watch in movies. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, pinch. So, yeah, it was probably a good idea not to pinch them. Be rude, not share about Jesus, be annoying, and fight. So... Maybe if we accomplish, not do those, accomplish the others, I really don't need to preach a message. I'm not sure. But, uh, but so we'll be, yeah, looking at what is winsome Christianity. What's, attra what's attractive to the world and calls believers into a deeper faith. Uh, if you do have your Bibles, uh, we, and we will be in the Old Testament uh, for this, Second uh, Chronicles 7, 11 to 14. And obviously verse 14 is one of the most uh, more more famous or common uh, verses in all of Scripture. But uh, as we're turning to that, the principal purpose of Chronicles, did I say Corinthians? It's Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. I don't know what I said. Uh, but uh, is to show God's desire to dwell among his people in a perfect relationship of holiness in which God is God and the redeemed are his people. And, and so it the reason I wanted to use that is from the very beginning in the Old Testament to now, all of humanity, God has been reaching out. Uh, 
And I think we often look at the Old Testament differently than that, but it's, the Old Testament has been pointing to the cross, and we're always now pointing back to the cross. Everything is centered around the cross and God reaching out to us. And so let's read, it's, if my people pray, Second uh, Chronicles 7, verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Solomon has just completed the temple. He's brought everything together, uh, and they've just dedicated the temple. They've given it to God. Israel is at the the height of their power, their wealth, their strength in the world. Uh, And then God comes in to Solomon and gives a if and a then. And those are sort of the two words that we really want to look at as we build this together, is God gives a if you do this, then this will happen. Uh, and, the, and in the first, the first thing he says is, if you humble yourself. And this is where it plays perfectly with what Merv uh, shared today, with just the essence of, of what is humility. Humility is something that we really struggle with, each one of us individually. But humility is strength. To be humble is to be strong. Uh, probably at the co- the greatest example of humility, of being humble, is Jesus going to the cross. Uh, I found it interesting in studying this, and so I'm going to be trying to use at least some of this uh, to put this together. But in the Gospels, uh, in Matthew, the, the last week of Jesus' life, 37% of the book of Matthew is about the last week of Jesus' life. In Mark, it's 35%. Luke, it drops down to 25%. But then in John, 41% of the book of John is on Jesus' last week. And so if the, if the disciples, according to those numbers, found that to be that important, I think our, our sermons, our, the way we live our lives, should reflect that as well. And I think... If we do that, if we reflect of 41% of, of what we, you know, take in or, or, or look at, or, that will change the way we live our life and will show a gospel that is, is winsome. Uh, but the, the Jesus' path to the cross is the greatest example of what it means to be humble. Uh, it is, Jesus chose, not because he had to, but he chose to walk an embarrassing, a painful walk to that cross and die on that cross, giving up his rights for his purpose to redeem us to a, back into a perfect relationship with God. When he could have easily, as he said, called on the multitudes of angels and he could have risen up and he could have 
He could have shown his might. He could have shown who he was, but he laid all of that down in humility for us, for his purpose of why he was called. And that's, that is what God is saying here of why it's so significant, so important for us to learn, to lay down our rights, to humble ourselves, and to see humility as strength. Um, cr- the cross is the greatest example of God reaching out to us. And I just written down, if, if Christianity is Christ, if Christianity is Christ, then his cross is the greatest key to understanding him. The, and this is where the opposite of humility, the opposite of being humble is pride. And the message of the cross cuts to the, at the heart of, uh, of human pride. The cross cuts to the heart of what, it's, what it means to be opposite of humility and pride. It cuts to the heart. It's what made the devil, it's what made Satan, Satan. It's what... It's the original, it's the essence of sin. It's what Adam and Eve, it's the first sin. The pride is the, the exact anti-God. It's, it, it's the essence of sin. It's, it's each one of us saying that we've got this, that, that I can do it on my own, that I, that I can, while we know not to say that I can be equal to God, I can take like I I can take care of myself. I can do it. I can rely on myself. And it's also pride is is all about comparison. It's all about saying it's all about being better. It's all about being superior to other people. Um, and it's why C.S. Lewis calls pride the the one vice that we all every person has. And it's the most ugly, it's the most, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the one that is the least attractive and controls us in how we show our faith. Uh, maybe a good example of, of how pride affects our life is um, you're not proud because you're rich. You're not proud of your, because you're well-educated or you're smarter than most people. You're not smart because of your good looks. Um, Actually, when I was driving here to church, I was trying to reflect on my message, and I don't know why my mind shot back to this, but years ago I was out and teaching VBS at Nava, uh, with the Navajos, and I was attempting to connect, teach, and all of a sudden one of the kids just pipes up and, teacher, you have an egg face. And then they called me egghead from there. And so maybe, maybe good looks is not one that I'm struggling with. But anyway... Those can be vanity, those can be greed, those can be jealousy, those, but, but they're, you're not proud because you're rich or your good looks or your education. You're proud, and this is where proud is different than all the other sins. You're proud because you're richer than someone else. You're, you're proud because you're more educated than someone else. You're proud that you're better looking than other people. And it's all about comparison. It's all about being better, being superior. Uh, and that is the, the opposite of creating a winsome faith. Power is what pride truly enjoys, to be superior. It's also the main cause of misery in every family since the world began, in every, where there's a community of people, where there's more than one person, 
because it's comparison. It's the cause of, uh, it's the main cause of misery. And somehow this often finds its way into our religious life, into our church life. It's, it makes us, sorry, I'm trying to, and I think the main, the main way it does is it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're better than those that maybe look dirty, maybe look rough around the edges. And somehow it, it, it finds its way into church life. It finds its way into our religious walk. Uh, and we begin to feel better, superior to others, to outsiders, or to other people that we see struggling with something and again, it just creates this, this mentality that is just not attractive. Like, no one's attracted to that. And, and, and it's so easy because we're religious. We know what to say. We know to say that we're nothing in front, you know, in front of an almighty God. But if we have pride in our life, if, you know, like we're worshiping an imaginary God. We're, not, we're, we're worshiping ourselves when we have pride in our life we say we're nothing, but, but, but we're not. Um, and so I was trying to reflect on this because every, if everyone has pride, what's the, how, how do we begin to, to chip away at this, to get rid of this? And also, if, if humility is strength, like what, how, does, how does a humble man look? Like What, what, does, that, what does that look like? Um, and... And so I think the, the best way to start chipping away at pride is to recognize, to be self-aware that it's in each one of us and to be, uh, to be taking it to the cross and to, to be working away at to be chipping away at it. Um, and so what does, what does a humble man look like? Uh, I, have a, I have a friend, I won't, that um, I don't know how we connected a, maybe a couple years back, but he's someone that's very well known in the community. Uh, but we get together once a month or so, once every two months, and just over coffee and just talk, different stuff like that. And he's, he's the type of person that if he walks into here, um, he'll, be, he'll be the main speaker. He'll be, um, the, the, he'll be the leader. He'll be the person that you see. He'll be the person that uh, he, won't be, he won't be the quiet person that walks in here and just keeps his head down and just lets everyone know that, yeah, he, he, you know, he's a nobody. Like, he, that's not who he is. Um, and, and, but, and the reason I'm using him as an example is when we, get, like, when we started getting together, we were talking about our nonprofits, different things that we're doing, and he was asking questions and back and forth. And then all of a sudden at the end, and he, and he always does this, he all of a sudden, okay, now, Brent, how are you doing? And the first time, and how, how's your family doing? And, you know, sort of the little Mennonite boy, and he's like, oh, I don't, uh, we're doing good. <laughs> but, but he, like, 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 it was just, like, full, like, genuine interest in me, like, of how I'm doing. And so to be humble is not to be the quiet person that keeps his head down, letting everyone know that they're a nobody or, you know, you know, what, you know like, just not seen, like, this little Whatever, uh, but it's. I, I, I think if if we think about what a truly humble person, if we would describe him, would be someone that is 
kind, that is, sorry, I've written, uh, cheerful, intelligent, but shows a real interest in you. A, a, a humble person shows a real interest in you because he's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about needing recognition for his good deeds. He's not thinking about, I mean, I want, I want recognition over here. Like, look at what I'm doing. Or look at the thing. Like, he's, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about you. He's, he's showing a genuine interest in you. And there is something, when someone shows a genuine interest in you, that is so attractive. Is so, even if it you know, makes you a little uncomfortable, it's like you, people are drawn to that. And so when we learn to put our pride down, not needing to be recognized, and showing genuine interest in the, in the angels and in the world, Christian uh, church people, world people, like, we show a genuine interest in them. And what, what they're struggling with, what they're going through, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of that, people are drawn to that. Um, and so that's, that's the first thing of, of being humble. And I wanted to spend most of the time on that one just because that one is so hard for me, for, for each one of us, I think, but for me to show a genuine interest, what it means to be humble and to see humility as strength. Uh, and, and so the others, I'm going to uh, go through a little bit, quite a bit faster. He says, pray and seek. Let's, let's stop thinking of prayer and devotions. Those need to happen. Those are good disciplines. But God is not asking us, like, get up in the morning, give me five minutes of prayer in your closet, give it a check mark and then go on about your life feeling good that you, 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 you did that. You showed me that I'm important. Now, again, going back to the cross, that final week, the Garden of Gethsemane, go read that. That is the greatest example of what it means to seek and pray. Three times Jesus goes out by himself, crying out to God cry, to take that cup from him so that if, if it's possible that he doesn't have to, to walk that path. He's seeking, he's praying, whether, whether it's the normal everyday things or whatever like, hard thing that we're going to have to walk through, God is asking us always to go to him first, to have that relationship where we seek, where we cry out to him. Uh, and, and Jesus in Matthew there is saying, you need to do this because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If Jesus is saying the flesh is weak, how much more so for us? And so God is asking us, humble Seek, pray, like, just, like have a relationship with me throughout the day that you're crying out to me. And yes, at certain times, like really like fall down and cry out, but have a relationship. And then the last part he's saying, and if, if you repent, if you turn from your wicked ways, and I think like, the easiest way to look at that, it's easy to, for us to see us as church people and, and, and to look past our faults, to look past my personal faults, Sorry, I need to make this personal because I'm trying to look at the individual, not the church here. But, um, sorry. When we repent, when we look in the mirror, we see that we're the chief of sinners, that we, we see our own pride. The own, we, see, we begin to see how God sees us. Uh, and, we, and he's asking us to turn away from our wicked ways. And when we begin to see our own pride, our own sin, we, we, learn, we, we, we begin to learn not to judge others, not to, 
not to judge where other people are at. We begin to see ourselves not as superior to other people. And that is, that's the basis of, of a winsome faith. And he says, then, if you do that, if you humble, if you pray, if you seek, if you repent from your wicked ways, then I will heal your land. And to paraphrase that, he's saying, I will begin to heal your families, your churches, your communities, and your land. Uh, so to wrap it all up, I'm not going to look at Ecclesiastes or, or the scripture, but I'm going to look, I want a, a short story in Ecclesiastes 9. And maybe the youth have already gone through this, but there's this really interesting story because in Chronicles, it's about Solomon. And so obviously here in Chronicles, it's still about Solomon. And he's at the height of his, of his power and what he's accomplished. Uh, and, and Israel is, is at the height of their power. And, and he said in chapter 9, Solomon says, There's a wisdom of a poor man in a, small, in a little city that, that, he is in, that, that he has noticed and is in awe of. And, and so I think as we begin to look at our platform personally, our earthly position, our wealth, our stature doesn't define our sphere of influence in God's kingdom. Our identity through the cross does. And, and Solomon is here saying, there's this man in this small city who's poor. So this, this wise man that, that Solomon is in awe of has not even been able to, Solomon is in awe of his wisdom, but his wisdom has, in a small city has not even been able to help him rise to the top of this small city. Like he's poor. Like he, this great wisdom that Solomon is in awe of hasn't even helped him. Like, and, and then Solomon says that no one will remember him. Uh, and, and so, the, the, but this man's wisdom in this small city, a great king has besieged the city, has come against them, and his wisdom, it doesn't say what it is, helped Makes a, help the, uh, that this great king didn't take over this city. Uh, and, and, and it's just this interesting thing of this, that one of the greatest men that has ever lived was in awe of this poor man that won't be remembered. Uh, and I think wrapping this up, that, that, that poor man, uh, that poor wise man, that's us. Like, none of us will probably ever really, maybe someone here will rise to fame, I don't know, but we, we, don't, we don't have fame we don't have great wealth. We don't have these incredible platforms where we're, you know, speaking in front of hundreds of thousands of people or we have hundreds of millions of dollars to give away or we have fame that gives us a platform. But all those are, all those are trivial. Like, we're the small, poor man, and when we, take, when we take that to the cross, we, we begin... Uh, because it's always it's about the cross. It's not about us. That platform will give us power to heal our land, to heal our families, our churches, and to expand God's kingdom and have a winsome Christianity that will be attractive to the world and call fellow believers to a deeper faith that will go out and expand his kingdom. Um, so that's my little two-part series of winsome Christianity as a city on a hill and how we can live personally, humbling ourselves, seeking, praying, repenting of our wicked ways and allowing God to, uh, to through the cross, give us a platform that will impact the world. Thanks for listening. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And if the worship team wants to come up, then. Heavenly Father, we, 
we thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for the cross and everything that it stands for. God, thank you that we can know that it's never been about us. It's always been about you. And that as we begin to think of what it means to to live an attractive faith that draws people to you, God, we just want to ask that we would recognize that, that it's never been about us and that we would lay down our lives, humbling ourselves, praying and seeking and repenting and laying it at the cross and allowing you to, to use our lives for what you've created us for. We love you and we thank you for this week. In Jesus' name, amen.